Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Inching closer and closer to the opening kickoff week zero. If you want to be uh, specific about it in college football, week zero is nice. Week one is what we're really pumped up about. And we'll get into that as well as a lot of uh, hot topics going on in what has been a very busy and tumultuous offseason in college football. He is J.C. Sherman of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And as we sit here now, we are in like eight hours of deliberation on on Ohio State. And like literally a verdict could come down while we're recording this or it could come down after. And you can hear about it after. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, I we'll get to. Some quarterback uh, news, uh, uh, some guys who have been announced as starters. There's still some races going on, if you can believe it. We're so close to the opening kickoff, and there's some schools. I'm sure the coaches have a pretty good idea who their 1A versus 1B is, but they're not telling anybody. Uh, some other news. <laughs> I always love the anonymous coaching polls. Mm. Uh, you, you get a chance to see coaches get really catty. I, I feel like... Um, I'm feeling I'm like, like I'm watching an episode of uh, uh, what is it the the Housewives of Beverly Hills or the Housewives of Atlanta or whatever and you know you get them all in a room together and they start kind of turning on each other that's what coaches do when they're anonymous so all that dirty laundry all that animosity all that jealousy comes out uh, but that's something that's become a, kind of a popular little poll here year after year um, I want to start JC first of all how hello how are you. Um, I, 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 uh, a little bit off topic. I didn't mention this last week, even though I went, I think the night before we recorded the podcast, but I got a chance to see here in Atlanta, a comedy show that was supposed to feature Dave Chappelle and John Stewart. Uh, and Chappelle is still, uh, very funny. Uh, John Stewart. I've, I've never been a huge John Stewart fan. I know for a lot of people like the daily show was the best thing ever. And that was that those 30 minutes of, of tilted comedy was kind of their knowledge of, of what's going on in the world, which is fine. You can, you can get your news now wherever you want it, however you want it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, for me, I, I just, I never found him that much that funny as a standup. And basically for his part in the show, it was preaching, 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 and the same thing kind of regurgitated a million times over. But Chappelle is just <laughs> <laughs> genuinely hilarious. And then unbeknownst to any of us, so they did uh, uh, multiple shows all week at a place called the Tabernacle in Atlanta, which is a great concert hall. Uh, I saw the Black Crows there five years ago. It's just a really cool place downtown, old school, what have you. But Chris, Dave Chappelle was late, so Chris Rock shows up out of nowhere. (laughs) I, I was about to go get a refill on my drink, and I see Chris Rock walking out. So he kills 20 minutes, and in those 20 minutes, I'm reminded that this guy is just at the top 
of the profession. I mean, he just absolutely ruled on stage. Uh, it, not political humor, just friggin' hilarious day to day stuff. Been through a divorce, which any comic that's gone through that has that's some built in material, but his is even better than most. So I, I got to just say, as someone who uh, loves stand up comedy, but honestly, I mean, we usually when I go to a show, like the local, the punchline or whatever, the comedy store, the comedy, we've all been to comedy clubs, right? Usually it's, there's not, you don't get those kind of names. You just get a couple like uh, amateur guys and whatnot, and you hope, and then eventually maybe they become big. I was, I was so entertained. It was, it was two and a half hours. Uh, and, and again, Chappelle and Rock in particular made me laugh my rear end off. So I, I've been in a good mood ever since because of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of the stand-up, and, and, and I like, I like, I thought John Stewart on the on the Daily Show was as funny as Craig Kilborn, um, just in a different way. Uh, obviously, he's very political, as a lot of folks are these days. Um, but you know, I, I thought some of his expressions and you know some of the things he said, even though I didn't agree with his politics, were fine. Uh, Dave Chappelle, probably one of the greatest comics of all time. Um, love, I, I, I've never seen a stand-up special or concert of his where I didn't think it was funny. I thought Chappelle's show had some of the the most genius comedy sketches of all time. And, and you're right, Chris Rock's kind of the godfather. You know, since Eddie Murphy has gone, and, and there's rumors that there's rumors now that Eddie Murphy has a stand-up show. You know, you know how Netflix pays these comics. I mean, Norm Macdonald did one recently. Uh, Rob Schneider did one. I mean, uh, they're bringing them back. And, and there's rumors out there Eddie Murphy may have a stand-up show that he's wow. going to bring out, which would be incredible. And he, he was the godfather. I think Chris Rock now has to be the godfather. Um, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, we, we don't have Bernie Mac anymore. And, and I think, uh, you know, if you look at it, Chappelle – uh, does a great job uh, in that genre of comedy. I also, you know, I, I like, I'm not going to say that I'm into like the, the blue collar comedy as a whole because, uh, you know, Jeff Foxworthy and Larry, the cable guy, who's a, who, who's a, who's not really, he doesn't really talk like that folks. Um, you know, they, they're, they're, they're funny, but they're not. I'm you're a, blowing the lid off Larry the Cable I, I'm Guy's a, act. I'm a huge fan of Rodney Carrington and Ron White. Ron White is probably my most favorite comic okay. of all time. You sound a little like if you if we had a cigar and a glass of scotch in your hand, <laughs> you, I think you could pull off Ron White. Yeah, like so, got thrown out of a bar in New York City, and when I say I got. <laughs> I was going to go into Jeff Foxworthy there. And uh, give, what did the, if you're listening to this podcast, noon on a tractor in your front lawn, you might be a redneck. Like it's just, <laughs> I give the guy credit because he had like one simple premise to humor, to comedy, and he milked it for all it's worth. No kidding. Larry, and Larry, the cable guy, like, I don't even, I, and I, uh, forgive me, folks, if you're a Larry, the cable guy fan. Again, it's to me, comedy is like music. The beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. I don't tell I don't tell people what to listen to musically. I don't tell people what's funny and what's not. Larry the Cable Guy, if I, if I listen to ten hours of his stand up, I probably wouldn't laugh once. <laughs> uh, I, I like I get Ron White. Ron White to me is a gifted comedian. 
there are guys that uh, Louis C.K. to me is a very gifted comedian. Yes. Now he's had some some issues here of late and has kind of been blackballed from the profession for a while. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope I hope he comes back because he, he's he's very talented. And again, I just there are certain uh, crafts that I have immense respect for. Uh, you know, uh, for, for me, the entertainment business is something I always gravitated towards. Uh, you know, I always tell people uh, no matter what happens in my life or in my career, I have been able to do what I love doing, uh, for, for the majority of, of my life. And so I consider myself very blessed because of that. Uh, and, and some people view us and, and what we do JC as entertainers. Uh, and I have great respect for people that can, broadcast a game well go on tv and do a show well do a a talk show well but i gotta tell you the thing that i know in my heart of hearts uh even though i you know i was very many years the class clown and the guy that could make people laugh and did impressions the idea of going up on a stage i don't care if there's just 30 people in front of you and and your job is to make them laugh for I mean, in the case of these guys, they could, they do hour long sets, but even if it was 20, 25 minutes, uh, that to me has got to be the scariest thing in the world. Something I would never want to try and something I just have immense respect for. So it's completely off topic, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that, um, when you, when you see a performer like that, uh, the, the 20 minutes of Chris Rock did, I was just like, my goodness, this guy, does he ever not, does he ever lose? Cause like guys like Chevy Chase and Eddie Murphy, were hilarious for a time and then they became amazingly unfunny <laughs> and, and and uh, comedians are like athletes like you have a you have a growing period you have a prime and then it's over and uh, some of these guys are able to do it for decades the george carlins of the world they, oh, they, yeah. they get funny for a half a century and i just have remarkable respect for that yeah. all right the 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 other off-topic thing i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a question your way all righty and you being the recruiting guru You'll be able to make heads or tail of this. Heads or tails of this. What do Malik Henry? You probably know where I'm going with this already. Raheem Boyd, Kingston Davis, and Emmett Gooden all have in common. They are all at the same junior college. And my guess is, Mike, <laughs> that they're on last chance you. Yes, yes. The, the Emmett Gooden and uh, Rakeem uh, Boy and the, and the Malik Henry thing is what, what made me think. Malik Henry, uh, they, uh, Florida, he signed with Florida State. Of course, he's from the state of California. Um, talent was never a question. I think a lot of other things were. Uh, and then Emmett Gooden's this massive lineman from the state of Tennessee. So I kind of put two and two together. You you did. And of course, uh, Emmett is now at Tennessee. Yeah. And, and Malik Henry, who was clearly the most gifted athlete on, on this junior college team, the one we're talking about, Independence in Kansas, which is the, if you haven't seen it already, I, I, I can't help but give Netflix. I, I get paid nothing to do this, mind you. Netflix recommendations because I'm so disheartened by movies. I think the biggest... Uh, movie draw right now is about a prehistoric shark 
that's probably all CGI'd and, and goes out of the water and eats boats and ships. And I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, geez, what a, what a, what an incredible concept. It, it's called jaws. It happened, uh, 45 years ago. Uh, but now except the shark is bigger and it's, it's produced on a computer. This is why I don't go to the movies anymore, but I, but I love Netflix. I love the original programming on Netflix. I can't wait to Ozark season two, uh, mm. but, but last chance you, and I'm still going to implore you and peer pressure you to watch this show. You folks hit JC Sherbert on Twitter up at JC Sherbert and tell him he needs to watch this show because it's about the, the kind of thing you follow uh, so well in, in these big time recruits and we all know what happens to the big-time recruits when they go to big-time colleges and it works, right? I mean, that's the story we become accustomed to. These are kids like Malik Henry, who was a top-notch, can't-miss uh, recruit out of California, out of the Valley, who goes to Florida State and has remarkable athletic ability, but for whatever reason, it doesn't work. And sure enough, he goes, I'm not going to, it's a little spoiler alert, he goes to junior college and yeah, he, he shows some signs of brilliance, but after they play their 10 games and everything else, here's Malik Henry on August the 22nd. And to my knowledge, he still hasn't signed with anybody. And this is a classic recruiting story of a kid that has all the physical ability, but there's, there's more to it than that. And then, you know, you have the kid, like the, the Rakeem Boyd guy, I mean, he's probably going to be an NFL back. I don't know what exactly happened at Texas A&M, but, but now he's going to Arkansas, and my guess is he's going to do just fine in the SEC. Anyway, I, I, those are two things from an entertainment standpoint that stood out to me, one related to college football, one not. Now let's dive full, uh, full steam ahead into some college football news. I, I don't even know if we want to get into the Ohio State too much because it, it, it hasn't been resolved as we record this now. Some people are going to be listening to this maybe tomorrow when it is resolved. I think you and I are in agreement. We're both guessing that Urban is going to keep his job. Could be suspended. Uh, could be it could be a time served situation. It could be a he misses the opener. It could be a he misses three games. Who the heck knows? But I don't think either one of us believe when this thing is all said and done, he's going to be left unemployed. Do you? No, I, I you know I, I lean towards suspension just because of, of, of partly based on some news reports and partly based on you know sometimes your first instinct is your right instinct and and as much as I've gone back and forth about this, um, I thought initially suspension and then I was like well no why would he get suspended and go through that and he's Urban Meyer he can just walk away you never know the LSU job will open and he can obviously take that. Um, but it, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think there's a lot of drama right now, Mike. Um, you know, I've been, I've been following the updates meeting began at 9 a.m. Eastern urban Meyer got there about nine, a little after nine, the board of trustees is deliberating about Meyer's future. Clark Kellogg, that Clark Kellogg wow, is an Ohio state board of trustees member. Um, walked outside and updated reporters and said, good, robust discussion and progress is being made. Urban Meyer has not been in the room when the trustees have been discussing it. And then about two and a half hours ago, right now it's about 4.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, at 2, Shelly Meyer shows up. Um, there are also people tailgating uh, at this thing um, in the parking lot of the 
athletic building or alumni building where this is being held. There's Ohio State fans tailgating for this uh, hearing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They, they have lawn chairs, and uh, the media is talking to them, and I don't know. So um, <laughs> nothing has come of it yet. Ohio State spokesman said it may be today. They're not. You know, it's probably going to be today, but it may go on for a while, uh, and they're going to kind of see – what happened so i uh this is kind of like the jury deliberation for the manafort trial uh <laughs> you know i don't know if they'll come back with a split decision or what but um my my feeling is is that there'll be some sort of suspension recommended um and and if urban meyer wishes to take that suspension then uh that's what will happen now now there's all these reports out there mike that there's a stuff uh, I read the other day that you know there's talk that you know if he chooses to resign, they won't release the information uh, in public uh, in the that's in the report. You know, i.e., we'll keep it quiet if you would like to just walk away. Um, but if he stays, it's probably going to be public. It's going to get out anyway. I, I don't. Ohio State is a public institution and I just don't, I don't see any way it's not going to get out to the media. What what's in the report, regardless of what happens, you know, so there's all this, you know, speculation and things like that. But, you know, if you want me to, to predict it right now, I'd say, I'd say he's probably going to just get uh, some sort of suspension, uh, but will be the coach at Ohio state at some point this year. Um, and he'll probably have a mea culpa, like you said, and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, uh, and try to repair his image. Uh, and personally, I think it's going to be a lot easier for him to repair his image at Ohio State um, and just, you know, the, the whole program kind of gets through it all together than for him to, like, resign, walk away. Maybe the information doesn't get out in its entirety. He takes another job. And then all of a sudden there's, there's you know, 18 talking heads or columnists out there that write – a column ripping the new the new school that hires him, uh, and if it's a place that you know you got to kind of build a little bit, then um, it may be that uh, that kind of derails that for a while. So, so there's all these factors that uh, you know could take place w- with regards to what happens. But I think I think at the end of the day, probably the settlement or the agreement everyone comes to is suspended, and then Ohio State, Urban Meyer, everybody kind of walks through it together. Yeah, I, I was thinking in my mind, what if, I mean, what if the bombshell of all bombshells was dropped and they just came out and said, after reviewing all the facts, uh, Urban Meyer has been relieved of his duties at Ohio State. You know, that's something I, I think very few people are expecting at this point. If you if you go back in time now, remember when the story first came about and Brett McMurphy's report came out, there were a lot of people uh, on national radio and other outlets that just jumped to... Hmm. Well, he's definitely going to get fired now. I, I mean, and then it became a contest for some people in our business uh, to be overly animated without knowing the facts. Um, and it was almost like, OK, I want to show I'm against domestic violence more than the other guys are. I, I see a lot of that. It's, it's just a form of grandstanding. Like, I, I don't know many people in our profession that aren't against domestic violence. <laughs> yeah, okay? no doubt. <laughs> like, like if, if you if you were to poll like everybody in radio, TV, print, internet, and said, okay, uh, let's just keep it to 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 men, right? Uh, pretty safe to say women are against domestic violence. Uh, okay, you thousand media men, male members, 
raise of hand, uh, show of hands. How many of you are completely for domestic violence and see nothing wrong with it and will justify it under any, any circumstances? I'm pretty certain 99.9% of the hands will remain down and not raised. So I, I don't need somebody to sit there and froth at the mouth and tell me how much they're against it. Like, I, like we get it. You know, I, I understand, but but give me something more. Advance the story, uh, and be a little bit responsible, knowing everything. Because Brett McMurphy's story, while good, it it's not everything. We've already learned more about <laughs> Zach Smith, and the more you hear about him, the more you're just like, good oh lord, my. that that's yeah. a man with some issues. Did you see the most recent report? Oh yes. All right, so so here, you know, and and I apologize if this is a little too risque for our audience, but. I don't think it is. So apparently he had, all right, so he was having sex with an Ohio State female, we assume it's a female employee, uh, in the football offices, which, you know, people, Michigan fans and, and Ohio State haters, particularly on Twitter, were up in arms. Oh, Urban, because they, you know, the end game for everybody that hates Ohio State is they want turmoil, they want Urban Meyer out, Ohio State's supposed to be good, Michigan can get that win. You know, I mean, it's about being a fan for a lot of these people on Twitter that jump to conclusions and, and, and you know, with their moral outrage. Oh, well, he allowed a state employee to, to have sex in the office. That has to be on him, you know, because somebody had tweeted, you know, because the next part of that was Zach Smith had $2,200 worth of sex toys mailed to him at the Ohio State football offices. Well, now, a gag gift, I tell you. A gag gift I, for the assistants. Twit- That's what he was saying. How do you spend $2,200 on what did you get? Did you get a get – a, uh, I mean, we were talking about this on, on another podcast yesterday. Did you did, did, is, it, is it a robot? Is it a robot mate? A robot sex – I mean, what is it? What costs $2,200? Yeah. They're basically rubber oblong things or some stretchy things or some clippy things. Edible. Uh, not that I know, or edible things. I mean, you know, th- this was like an edible – Entire cow. I mean, like like those steaks you get in the mail. You know, well, well, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Twenty two hundred bucks at at that point, don't you? If you're buying in bulk, don't you get a Costco kind of discount from wherever <laughs> he's ordering this from? I mean, if you buy that many items, I I, I had to think like you get certainly free shipping at bare minimum, kind of like an Amazon Prime deal, <laughs> and, and then I would say a few hundred dollars off. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a complimentary gift, um, chocolates. I don't know, roses. But what, what, <laughs> that, what, that is that seems excessive. What the hell are you lacking as a man when you have to order twenty two hundred dollars worth of sex toys? I don't care if you have, you know, twenty two girlfriends. I mean, that, that that's a lot. That's some kinky stuff there. So anyway, so so that was weird. And and they were, you know, people were trying to pin this on Urban Meyer as a reason he should lose his job. I think what it does is it, it speaks to a, a greater level of behavior by Zach Smith. Um, and we've all agreed he's a turd and he probably should not even be he should have been fired a long time ago. And and I think that's that's the issue. But I mean, the guy on Twitter the, the it was a radio station said like like Urban Meyer is supposed to go through with a box cutter. And open everybody's mail in the football office. Come on, man. I mean that that's that that the sex in the office thing, and the sex toys getting mailed, which is bizarre. That that's not on Urban Meyer. Okay, you know, like people in our audience. Have you never heard of people having sex in an office? Really? You hadn't. 
Well, you must not work in an office then. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's one of those things that I don't think crosses the threshold. I think it speaks to, you know, again, just like getting in an argument with LeVar Ball on Twitter over a, an emblem or, you know, I, I guess maybe around the same time he got the sex toys delivered to him, he was tweeting at Target cr- griping and complaining because they wouldn't take a TV back or something mm-hmm. in the middle of recruiting. You know, this is like hard core time right before the dead period in recruiting. Hey, Target, don't like your customer service because I'm trying to take this TV back because I can't pay my bill to, you know, Pretty Kitty's Love Emporium. You know, and, and, and I just, uh, you know, it's just, it's insane. But, um, you know. The, the so TV I, was much less than $2,200, by the way. You can get plasma much cheaper than you used to. Yeah, you can these days. But, I, so I don't know. I think, I think it's <laughs> Zach Smith's a turd. I think it's a story of somebody that was born on, uh, you know, born on third base. And, you know, if he scores a run, you know, and you're born on third base, that's not as impressive. Uh, I think it has everything to do with a life of privilege being Earl Bruce's grandson. Mediocre position coach as it is. Pretty decent recruiter, but not great. Obviously had a lot of problems, should have never been coaching. And this is a story, I think, of Urban Meyer being loyal to someone, someone's relative to a fault. And we'll see how it turns out. There, there's no question that's it. Uh, and that that was the piece of information I needed to know to really put my my arms around this because you don't you don't go out on this much of a limb for an assistant coach that doesn't – I mean, he just doesn't give you – and at the end of the day and on the balance sheet, he's not winning you national titles. He's not winning you Big Ten titles. Uh, we, we know coaches have had a past of doing – like they'll take their morals and ethics and stash them aside if they can play – I mean, even a Tom Osborne plays Lawrence Phillips uh, in a national championship game when all things said, come on, man – Really, the guy grabs his girlfriend by the hair and drags her down a flight of stairs where you're going to overlook that. I think Bobby Bowden had some some questionable decisions late and, and, and hid behind. Him. Well, boys are just boys. They deserve a second chance. Uh, there, there's been a lot of that over the years. I don't I don't approve of it at all, but at least I understand that when this story first came out, I'm like, why the hell would you cover for this guy? Oh, long term friend, the Earl Bruce connection. OK. So I, I, I'm, I'm, this is the last time I'm going to use this term. But, yes, I do believe if Urban Meyer keeps his job, do the right thing, have a mea culpa moment, be sincere, go to that podium and say you use some poor judgment. You use some poor judgment uh, and you're going to survive this. You're going to press on. It is going to be part of your legacy. What helps Urban Meyer is that Ohio State, this this committee um, – the, these are people that are going to look at this situation in a vacuum. The rest of public opinion is going to circle back to Urban's days at Florida as well and say, you know what, there's a little bit of a track record here of a guy who would overlook a lot of bad stuff in order to win games. You use the Lou Holtz analogy. I think that's part of Lou's legacy. Lou's a likable guy and was a hell of a coach, but there's no question Lou – Lou could find a way to uh, justify uh, certain activities from certain people during his watch, during his Hall of Fame career. Uh, he's not alone. So uh, I, I hope I hope Urban does the right thing in that respect. Again, I'm not one that wishes for people to lose their jobs. Uh, I, I, I'm not one who, who's, who roots for somebody's career to, to, to go down the toilet 
if we were talking about a guy who directly did something as opposed to perhaps cover it up or just kind of brush it aside, that might be a different story. Uh, so I've never justified what happened. I think Zach Smith is a low level human being. Uh, I think he's going to have to answer to what he's done for the rest of his life in terms of urban Meyer. I think he made a mistake. Is it one where you completely annihilate his career over? That's for people to decide publicly in their own uh, forum. And that's for Ohio state to decide in terms of how they're going to balance the image of the program by keeping him versus what he means to the success of the program. And believe you me, both of those things are being considered to the maximum uh, as we speak right now. Uh, In terms of the Maryland, nothing new there. And, you know, I I have a feeling that story because it's Maryland and because it's a coach named DJ Durkin and not a Hall of Fame coach in Urban Meyer, people are going to lose interest in that. Once football games are being played and there's a hell of a lot more to talk about, Um, that story is really going to be lost in the shuffle. Although I do think again, I hope that something beneficial comes out of it so we can avoid ever having a scenario like this again. Um, in terms of Maryland football, which has been somewhat disastrous other than a, a, a good period under Ralph region who, by the way, does anybody know what Ralph region's doing these days? I think he might be out of coaching, but the, but that dude had an incredible run at Maryland. I mean, you go back and look at what Maryland did under his direction. And since then, Maryland has been just in the abyss. And now they're in the Big Ten, which makes them further in the abyss. And uh, <laughs> now that this, assuming they do fire Durkin, it's just going to set back Maryland even further. And uh, like I said, a month from now, I don't know if many people will be talking about this story. If and when they fire him, everybody, all the talking heads will comment on it. And then I just, I think it'll be brushed aside and, you won't hear much about that story again. Yeah, I mean, it was used basically, I think, in terms of the national media, and, and I'm including the Washington Post, which Maryland is in their coverage area, and they had a kind of a snarky column about, you know, it, it, what it basically is is is, is a lot of folks, uh, our friends that are kind of lean toward the political left, love to talk about toxic masculinity, which – you know, maybe there is such a thing, maybe there isn't, but it almost becomes a war on all masculinity. And, and she, the columnist, used some words meathead and stuff like that. But she also brought us some good points that the NFL, um, you know, they hadn't really had players die during the offseason and, and things of that nature. And, you know, there were some good points in terms of maybe some precautions that could be taken. Um, but, it, you know, the, the issue I have with it is this is one school, you know, yes. Uh, there are some things that were talked about and reported in the story that happened at other schools. Uh, you know, some of them don't, though. Some of them are a little bit weird, to be quite frank. Um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, when you look at it from that standpoint, that's fine. What I don't want it to do is indict the entire sport. Um, you know, when you hear coaches say sometimes that football's under attack, like the Larry Fedora thing, you know, and he didn't use the greatest analogy in the world. Uh, that's what they mean is that, that a lot of times folks that have a political agenda or a sociological agenda is what it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they will allow something like this to indict everything they don't like, not just about a sport, but a sport that includes elements of sociology that they're against. And, and they right. kind of fight that battle. So I, uh, 
I think there was some of that in the Washington Post column and some of the other columns. Uh, but what I hope comes out of this is number one, I hope I hope the McNair family um, ends up being uh, you know well compensated. It's not oh, going to yeah. make up for the loss of their son. Um, I hope something, whatever positive can come out of this for that family, uh, that it does. I'll pr- I pray personally for them and hope that they find at least some peace. I mean, I can't imagine what they're going through. That's first and foremost. And then second, you know, without any kind of heavy-handed reform, maybe this causes, you know, some folks to, to maybe that trainer, you know, takes an extra precaution. You know, maybe there's some policies in play that are put in place that ensure that this kind of thing never happens again. Maybe maybe kind of some of the the, the serious hazing stuff with the eat till you vomit, the unhealthy part of it. Um, because essentially, when you're trying to get a guy in shape, you're trying to get him at maximum health. That's what it is. How is eating until you vomit healthy? It's not. You know, and and that's assuming that happened. That's that's all that that stuff's all alleged right now. But um, I, you know, maybe that kind of stuff slinks its way out of the off season training. I, I don't think the answer is to sit there and, uh, you know, beat coaches over the head or anything like that. I may I think the coaches in this situation. Uh, will self-police because if coaches are one thing, they're self-survivors and uh, they, they know that they don't want this happening at their school. Yeah. I, I think a lot of things are going to be looked at. Um, and, and this is why I say, you know, t- again, just going on there and, and, and flying off the handle, everybody should be fired. Okay. We, we got it. We're, we're against kids dying uh, on the, on the practice field as well. It's a show of hands of a thousand people that fall college football. Is there anybody that doesn't think a 19 year old dying during a conditioning drill is a bad thing? Anybody crickets. Okay, good. So now let's, let's be a little more uh, thorough and perhaps intelligent and professional in and analyzing what this is all about. And one of the things they seriously need to take a look at is what is the relationship with the strength coach and the head coach? Because the strength coaches change schools all the time. There are, most of these strength coaches have been at like a half a dozen different places and they bounce from one place to another. Uh, always going, to, always going into a new environment with a new head coach and, and head coaches don't sit there and monitor that. you got a million other things on your plate. The strength coach does his thing. And this particular strength coach, I think that I've read that again, he was a veteran of like 15 years was part of Mississippi state, uh, of their big run when Dak Prescott was the quarterback and they were number two in the nation. Um, and then the medical staff, you know, if it's found out that these, these people sat there and didn't cool this kid's temperature down when it, when it's an obvious heat stroke, we we know head coaches are not involved in hiring medical staffs. They don't have a background in that. They're not, they're not they, they don't have the acumen to know who to hire to do that. That's on the universities. So this is a this is a call to arms to all these universities to make sure you have really qualified people in those positions as well. Because whether you have a a, a renegade strength coach or not, this can happen somewhere else where a kid's just running a bunch of hundred and ten meter dashes. And then all of a sudden in hundred degree heat has a heat stroke. This could happen somewhere else. And you have to have people on staff that know what the hell they're doing. And that's not going to be your head football coach. So that's why I say, take a, take a, a, a broader look at this and try to actually be productive in, in moving forward and not have this happen again. All right. Enough of that. No more scandal talk. <laughs> I'm burnt out with it. Thank goodness. Well, we're having games. 
Yep, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We do have one more thing to mention. Uh, and that's yes. J- Jimbo Fisher in Texas a and Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to mention, I, I don't that, put that in the same I, scandal department. To, to but me, you're right, it's, it's not a big scandal. Yeah, and, and it's uh, Sano Marchio. Okay, all right, so this kid, all right, and look, it's a serious issue if, if you're given cash by an assistant coach to go take recruits out on unofficial visits. That's against the rules. Is it something that, I have never, ever, ever heard of happening. No. Is it something that I believe probably happened under Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M at some point? Yes. Is it something that I believe happens at other schools? Absolutely. Is it something that I know happens at other schools? Yes. Okay. So that, to me, is a kind of a on the kid and the dad's part is a punk move. Because... He's trying to get eligible immediately at Arizona. And if you think about the culture at Texas A&M under Kevin Sumlin and the culture at Texas A&M that Jimbo Fisher, who's kind of a Nick Saban guy, is trying to establish, obviously, what does that football program need, Mike? It does need toughness, just like Maryland did. Now, there's no allegations of making a kid eat till he pukes. There's no allegations of making a kid sit out and watch you know, workouts and eat candy bars. There are no allegations of you know, trainers telling everybody to drag a kid off the field. What this is is normal run-of-the-mill stuff. Um, you know, they, they used bad language and called us you know, the P word. Well, you know what? Tough. That's life. You know, I, I'm sorry. And and these allegations really don't make me feel sorry for you uh, for them saying that. And I'm not trying to come down on the kid. He just wants to get eligible. Obviously, Arizona is going to be a different culture than Texas A&M is. But, but to me, yes, these are things that are concerning. They don't rise to the level of, of the Urban Meyer thing or the DJ Durkin thing, um, you know, but but it is unfortunate for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. You know, my, uh, my feeling would have been, if, if I were A&M, because I don't know how – I don't even know how good this kid is. Um, I'd have just let him go if I'd have known that he would have, uh, he would have done this stuff. So I just um, – I don't know. I, I, I just – I'm not – based on what I, I read – from him and his father, I'm just not convinced that this was uh, this was something other than you know a kid trying to make 100 percent sure he was eligible at his new school. And his attorney Thomas Mars, who by the way is the guy that busted the Hugh Freeze thing wide open, right? He's from right. Arkansas and a heck of a lawyer, in my opinion. Um, yes, but but I I, I think this this kind of is going to end up making you know the the, the linebacker look bad. Um, you know, and I, and I hope he goes to Arizona and becomes a great player. But, you know, to me, this, you know, yes, this isn't good for Texas A&M and they'll probably self-report some things and somebody may get fired on that staff. I don't know. But, um, at the end of the day, I, I think it makes the, the player and his dad look, uh, worse, look more like just, you know, somebody that wanted out that was complaining to, about some really normal stuff, um, you know, th- that happens uh, commonly at college football programs. Well, and the other thing is, of course, uh, <laughs> he's kind of indicting himself because he's saying 
he received illegal cash payments from the linebacker coach. Um, and we're not talking about thousands of dollars, but if you read the reports, uh, allegedly receiving cash payments in the hundreds of dollars. Um, uh, so ba- so you had no problem taking the money, but now you're upset about the transfer rules. So now you're going to, yeah. now you're going to, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, I mean, yeah, it, that it, takes some brass right there. I got to tell and you. And the coach that allegedly gave it to him, Bradley Dale Pivado, this, this guy has been coaching in the sec for a long time. He's a great special teams coach too, by the way, was at LSU for years. I mean, this guy, I mean, this is, this is, this is an old school coach, you know, this is old school as it gets. I mean, I, you know, this cat, I don't know if he coached in the eighties or not, but I mean, that's just kind of normal. I mean, and yeah. And then the kid keeps the money. I think in the story said he kept the money or maybe he said he paid it back. I don't know. Or kept, kept kept what was left over. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I'm like, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Everybody's going to be, oh, Texas A&M is paying players. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? Since he did take that money, his eligibility is going to be in question, you know, because that's an impermissible benefit. That's you what I'm saying. You, 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 basically, you indicted yourself in order to to get your case across. And, again, this goes back to your, your comment on uh, a lot of people that report on these stories have their own – sociological agenda so they want to they want to extract a story like this and and equate it yeah yeah and so i i won't say who but but somebody was flying off the handle earlier today on this subject and saying well if you didn't uh, abuse these kids and tell them that they they can't transfer without sitting out a year well now now players are speaking up and now they can threaten coaches and, and, and this is going to become a new trend and good luck trying to stop a kid from transferring now. Well, first of all, you can transfer. Secondly, the transfer rules have become more lax than ever that the new legislation, which is adopted by the uh, division one council back in April now says players can gain a waiver to play immediately. You've got to say, you've got to prove or some type of documentation that there are mitigating circumstances. Uh, the SEC has come up with their own rule that's more lax. I mean, we're, we're, we're heading toward more and more toward basically transferring without any penalty penalty at all. But, uh, uh, you know, for, for, I, I've, I've never had a major problem with the rule itself, and I want to get too far on a tangent here. Now, if a coach gets fired, and certainly in the case of Ole Miss, where you have uh, a coach that gets buried in, in a cloud of NCAA sanctions, those, could sh- those kids should be able to transfer absolutely penalty-free, which is what you saw. Eventually, those decisions came down with Van Jefferson and others that they were able to do so, but why it took so long, I'll, I'll, I don't know. But in a situation like this, um, yes, Kevin, someone did get fired. So I, I wouldn't have a problem with, with that rule just being like that, but, but to go this far, uh, to ha- hire an attorney, to start trying to get your previous school on probation is basically what you're trying to do with some of these allegations. I, I know one thing, I don't think that's necessarily a kid that I'd want in my locker room. If that's, that's what you're going to do when you're upset. I mean, that's, that's some pretty strong stuff to me, but yes, culture. That, yeah, it's culture. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think so. And there's no way on God's green earth A and M is firing Jimbo Fisher because check this out, <laughs> this contract. It's not just ten years, seventy five million. 
And it's not just the fact he has three hundred thousand, <coughs> excuse me, dollars a year worth of private aircraft use in his contract. It's not just that he's guaranteed a pool of five million every year to hire assistant coaches. It's that he can terminate the contract at any point without calls and owe the university nothing. Hmm. And if the university fires him even with calls, he gets the whole thing. Wow. (laughs) Is he he a Sexton guy? Is he another Sexton guy? Yes. Got to be, right? I mean, Sexton is the – he is the – well – I don't know if that's even a good because Jerry Maguire had some issues even in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Fictitious. Free fall. And yeah. He's like, yeah. The, what, what is it? Scott Boris was the. the uh, yeah. He's the Scott yeah, well, Boris. He still is. Yeah. He's yeah, the Scott yeah, Boris of, of college football coaching agents. I mean, he I think he represents 11 of the 14 SEC coaches. <laughs> and and uh, you look at the average salary among those coaches. I, I uh, Mr. Sexton, are you hiring? I, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to be a part of that uh, that campaign. All right, so we do have some on the field stuff. A lot of quarterback uh, races that have not been determined. One that has, though, it looks like after uh, you know, having to replace the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma has their quarterback, JC. Yeah, Kyler Murray is going to start, and uh, we all remember him. Speaking of Texas A&M, um, he's one of the two five stars that transferred out of Kevin Sumlin's program uh, within a two-week period. There's that word culture again, um, and uh, you know had a good, uh, good, good freshman, true freshman year at A&M was 2015. Could run it really well. Uh, short, very short. Doesn't have, um, you know what I would call elite skills as a passer, but, boy, he's slippery and you can't catch him. Also a professional baseball prospect. Um, I think this is one of those kids that it's easy to sit there and look at his height and go, man, he's 5'9", or he's 5'10". You know, how's he going to see over the line? Blah, 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 blah. Um, And kind of underestimate him. And and I'm not saying that it won't be an issue because – you know, I think that that is you know people kind of overlook that because he's such a spectacular quarterback uh, when he was in high school and, and did some nice things like I said at A and M, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know, it's easy to kind of make that thing. But, but but given what he's done in games that I have seen, he be, he, he beat out a guy that can really throw it in Austin Kendall. Um, he's just electric. I mean, he you can't catch him. Uh, I think if you're a defensive guy, he's elusive, uh, plays a lot like Joe Hamilton that played at Georgia Tech many moons ago is the best person I can compare him to. Um, A guy that uh, I think can run that offense and put up some big numbers in the Big 12. Um, So, you know, it wasn't a surprise that he was named the starter. Uh, I think he's an interesting fit to what Lincoln Riley likes to do on offense, which I I think is – run the power run game and chunk it. He's not really known for having a true dual threat guy back there, but Kyler Murray definitely is. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's going to be fascinating. Throw in the fact they open with Lane Kiffin and FAU, which FAU has some dudes, you know, on that roster. They have a lot of transfers that are good and a lot of talent. Um, that Oklahoma game now is one I think I, I'm going to watch, you know, because I think that that's – 
you know, I want to, first of all, I want to see how good FAU is. And second of all, I, I, I'm like, I'm curious to see, you know, Kyler Murray go out there and, and start a college football game. Cause the last time I really watched him was, was at A&M. We know he can run. I mean, you, you watch whatever tape you can get. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think he's faster than Russell Wilson, but I, I doubt yeah. he's as good of a good of a passer. And, and that's what people forget about Russell Wilson before he became one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He was ridiculously accurate at both NC State and Wisconsin. So, you know, the analogies, they're both undersized. They're both baseball players. Um, this kid might be f- like 40 yard dash faster. But Russell Wilson's don't grow on trees. Russell, you watch Russell Wilson play, and you don't think about the fact that he's five nine, five ten, because the guy can make every throw. Uh, the guy doesn't—he doesn't forget what the number one job of a quarterback is, particularly at the upper echelon levels. And that is, it's not to just run around and freelance. It is to make plays down the field. It is to lead an offense down the field. It is to check down. It is to throw it away. It is to uh, not take a sack in a key spot just because you want to you want to extend the play and 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 again sometimes play schoolyard football. I have no idea if that's what this young man is going to do or not do. It just you just don't know. We're dealing with the unknown. But um, I know one thing. My money is on the fact that he's not going to be Baker Mayfield in year, in year one. And that would be concerning to me from the standpoint of, oh, there's nothing that tells me that Oklahoma is going to be any better defensively this year than they were last year or the year before or the year before or the year before. Uh, it has been seven, eight years of bad defense. And I know that's kind of the, the knock on the entire Big 12 conference. But if there are a couple of teams that should be able to defend it's Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, and I, I still think when Tom Herman gets his whole thing in there, like you can't convince me, JC, you can't convince me if Nick Saban became the head coach of one of the premier bell cow universities in the big 12, that just because it's the culture of the big 12, that everybody be rolling up 45 points on a, on a Nick Saban coach team. No, uh, you know, at some point, it's not just shrug the shoulders. Well, that's just the big 12. At some point it, it is the mark of it, it's on your head coach and, and it's on uh, what you're ingraining in, in the program, uh, a style, a philosophy, you know, look, there's a reason why Lane Kiffin's not around anymore at Alabama and why uh, overall, if, if you're going to be an offensive coordinator under Nick Saban, you're not throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game because, because as good as his defenses are, if you play that kind of offense, you're going to give up more points and they've already played more shootouts than they care to the last couple of years at Alabama. Uh, but uh, you, at some point, somebody in that conference has got to play defense. There's no reason Oklahoma can't be one, but uh, anyway, they, they've got their guy. We'll see how it goes. I still think it's going to be, a similar story for the big 12 conference. And, and that is now you've got, you have no marquee quarterback. You know, you, you, you lose Mason Rudolph, you lose Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, Texas has made a, a, a decision on their guy, but certainly not an established guy. There's no, uh, member, uh, what's his name at TCU. And I should Kenny, remember this. Kenny Hill. Well, no, after him, uh, oh, Boykin, yeah, Boykin, Boykin. Boykin eventually got in trouble with the law. And, yeah. 
kind of kind of screwed himself over. But 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 he was a, he was a playmaker. Now uh, I don't know if the Big Twelve has like that one guy that's like a true just complete game changing quarterback. So what do you have? You got a bunch of teams that are going to score points. A bunch of defense is going to give up a lot of points. And in in the end, you don't have a team that's capable of winning a national championship. That's what I see in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll say this: Sam Ellinger. I think you say it, Ellinger. Um, pretty good player, you know, and, and a guy that sort of uh, fits what they do in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think the the issue with Texas, and, and I think eventually Texas is going to be the team that play, starts playing defense again. I agree. League. And if you think about what Tom Herman's philosophy is on offense, it's not chunk it around the yard 75 times a game. Uh, like they do at Oklahoma or like they do at Texas Tech or like they used to do at Baylor uh, or like they do at TCU now uh, or, or Oklahoma State. You know, you can keep going on and on and on. It, it's it's sort of a, you know, you think about his offense at Ohio State and his offense is at Houston. It's quarterback runs. It's power runs. It's physical downhill running, you know, mixed with attacking opponents on the perimeter and downfield. And, you know, that's, that he comes from the Urban Meyer coaching tree. It's similar to what Dan Mullen does on offense. Uh, not exactly that way, but, but similar. So it is a spread, and it is an offense that's capable of putting up a ton of points, but it's physical. And so if you think about if Texas can, again, here's that word, culture, if Texas can get its culture back to being a tough, hard-nosed football team, if they can play defense and they get the talent to do it um, and they can run the ball out of that spread and they can make life just, you know, even more miserable than it already is on defenses around the league. You know, I think Texas has a chance to kind of influence the rest of the league, kind of like Baylor and Texas Tech did, where instead of sitting there going, hey, may, you know, maybe we're, maybe us, Oklahoma, and, and in fairness, Oklahoma has done – stuff like they're doing now since Bob Stoops got there in the 90s with Mike Leach as the offensive coordinator. In all fairness, Oklahoma has been this way for a while. They've had they had some great defensive football teams earlier, but they've been throwing it around the yard for a while. So so in fairness, I'll say that. But, you know, schools like Texas all of a sudden decided, well, you know, we need to go be Texas Tech or we need to go be – well, you're Texas. You need to be Texas. And I think that's gonna that that's the school I look to, and go, hmm, this could be the next trend-setting type of thing uh, in the Big Twelve. If if there is, I mean, because you still have the problem, Mike, where all the high schools, most of them in Texas, run the Mike Leach spread, chuck it around the yard. There are different variations of it, but you know that's the state where seven on seven became huge, huge, and it's and it's the best. They have the best high school football programs in the country in that state uh, as far as programs go. And they put out very good polished players. But the style of play in the high schools in the state of Texas is it's a little different because of the influence of seven-on-seven and things like that. That's why you can go there and get good quarterbacks. I've got got an idea for Big 12 schools, okay, Big 12 teams this year. Remember last year the, the phenomenon that was Miami's defense was what? The turnover chain. Every time you got an interception or a fumble recovery, that player put on a, a a gold chain and he got to wear it. And, you know, it was really cute for a while. And then it became kind of nauseating. And eventually uh, people weren't exactly intimidated by the turnover chain the last huh. couple of games that Miami had. 
uh, in case you notice. So, all right. So let's if, if if we need to go gimmicky here, every time a Big Twelve defense holds an opponent under 500 yards, you put on a chain. Okay. Every time you hold them under 40 points, you put on a a, a bracelet. The 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 defensive bracelet, the we the bend but not completely break bracelet. The, the we didn't completely embarrass ourselves. Chain and, and whatever it takes, something get a gimmick, get anything there to play some defense in that league. It, it has to at some point. And you're talking to a guy who loves offensive football, loves it. I don't I don't watch. Uh, you know nowadays there's so many classic games on right. And I, and I'm a, look, I'm a child of the eighties. So I love some eighties culture now. And I was a huge sports fan as a kid in the eighties, but I got to tell you when I watch a college football game from the eighties and teams are running the triple option and it's the first team to 20 wins, I got to tell you, I find it boring. So I do. I love today's college football. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the, the, uh, offenses that have completely, evolved starting with guys like Steve Spurrier, Lavelle Edwards, moving on to guys like Mike Leach, uh, so on and so forth. I love it. I love it. But I don't love game in game out watching 45, 42. That to me says less about great offense and more about ridiculously average to below average defense. And the big 12 has a perception problem in that regard. And, and somehow when you're looking for it, you don't have a whole lot of programs to turn to Gary Patterson, excellent defensive coach. They can, they can D up a TCU when he's got the right athletes, Oklahoma and Texas, you know, they have athletes. So you're kind of leaning on those two or three programs outside of that. I mean, you're not looking to Iowa state for the answer. You're not looking to Kansas for the answer. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not looking to toward Baylor for the answer. So you, you, you got to rely on those two or three schools to kind of help change the image of that league. There's no lack of uh, positive image on the defensive side of the ball for the SEC. And for that matter, there's no lack of good starting quarterbacks. This could actually be a landmark season in, in the Southeastern Conference for, for very good quarterback play because it's not just like one stud Heisman Trophy candidate. It's a bunch of returning starters with ability in the league. However, we still have some pretty premier programs, JC, like a Texas A&M, like a Tennessee. Chad Morris is still shrugging his shoulders in Fayetteville about who their quarterback's going to be. As you look at those three situations and perhaps some others, any leanings you have toward who these particular teams are going to choose? Well, I mean, I'm going to start with Tennessee, and I, I, I hate to – I, I, I don't like to sit there and, and I like dismiss players. You know, oh, they're never going to be any good because I think in football it's developmental. Guys get better. You know, some guys. It's not a situation all the time, especially at quarterback, where you either have it or you don't. Uh, and I'll use a South Carolina reference. Uh, 2012 game guys go to Vandy for the season opener. Connor Shaw gets hurt. This is one of the best teams Spurrier had there. Um, Dylan Thompson comes in the game. And he looks like the backup quarterback from the movie Necessary Roughness. <laughs> it was awful. I was like, whoa, you know, and this was a two-star Too bad game. he didn't look like the kicker on that team, Kathy Ireland. If that, well, yeah, I'd have been a bigger Dylan Thompson fan had that <laughs> been the case. But anyway, um, 
You know, so, yeah, Sin, Sinbad was in that movie too. By the way, I, I forgot about that the other day. Oscar nominating performance. The, 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 the Oscar for that one to me goes to Robert Loggia as defensive coordinator Wally Riggendorf, which is the <laughs> best defensive coordinator name ever, Wally Riggendorf. Anyway, I digress. Well, and Dylan Thompson looked bad. You know, the, remember the backup quarterback that Scott Bakula was the starter. The backup was some wormy guy. And he just he he, he, ran, he took the snap and fell down. You know, that you know this thing. movie way too well. I'm 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 more on the Varsity Blues kick. Like ah. I, I I remember Varsity Blues and Coach Buddy Kilmer. Uh, <laughs> you know that West something football may have been your life, but it's not my life, Dad. Like that that the acting I was don't bad. Want your life. I don't want your life. Uh, which which they later did a great uh, spoof commercial on, on a, like a Cars dot com spot or something, but. We haven't had a good football movie in like I don't know a decade. That's a whole other story. Yeah, but. we we did one definitely. John Voight, who played uh, Kilmer in that movie, uh, I he, liked Voight in the movie. I uh, I was on a flight in 2013, the spring, uh, from Los Angeles. I flew from Nashville to Los Angeles, connected at LAX, and went over to Vegas. I get on the flight over to Vegas. Who's sitting right there in first class? John freaking Voight. Oh, sweet. I got I, and I sat there because t- you know I heard he, he's maybe a little ab- abrasive. And so I just kind of took my cell phone out and took a quick pick, and, and I have it, like, somewhere. But anyway, I digress completely on that. So anyway, so here's Dylan Thompson, opener in Nashville. He's terrible. Loaded Gamecocks team squeaks by one of James Franklin's Commodores teams, 17-13. That Vandy team ended up winning nine games. Uh, so the season goes to the end, and um, they're playing Clemson at the end of the year. This is a good Clemson team. Taj Boyd, Sammy Watkins, Nuke Hopkins. Andre Ellington. I mean, they're loaded on offense and, and have a pretty decent defense. And Connor Shaw's out for the game, and Dylan Thompson's starting, and everybody's like, oh, my God. I got a text from a former Gamecock assistant who coached at an ACC school at the time who had played Clemson earlier, and he goes, Clemson's going to win this game by three touchdowns because they have too much offense, and without Connor Shaw, South Carolina's completely screwed. Dylan Thompson, long story short, Dylan Thompson goes out there, throws for like 300 yards, runs on a third down and 19 for 21 in a crucial situation. Gamecocks win 27-17. Of course, Jadevi and Clowney had about nine sacks in that one. But, um, you know, and and then later on, Dylan threw a winning touchdown pass in the Outback Bowl. By the time he was a senior, he was good. So I don't like, and I've gone through all this to get back to the most riveting subject, the Tennessee quarterback battle. Um is there a Guaritano uh, analogy? Guaritano. And, and you know, we talked last year. I don't think this kid's the answer. I'm going to say it again this year. I don't know that he's the answer. The reports I've been reading think he may start. And look, if he's really a whole lot better this year, I'll eat my hat. But I would start Keller Christ if I were Jeremy Pruitt. I would start Keller Christ. I would line it, I, I, I would make him a game manager, line it up, try to run the football and play defense. Because I just don't know, and, and, and you know, Garantano's got got some movement ability, and and maybe you know they have a good offensive lineman and Trey Smith and some other good linemen. Maybe they can protect him. I just I just don't know. I know he wasn't the answer last year. Maybe he is this year. But um, and, and I'll be honest, I'll, I liked Keller Chris probably better than I should have coming out of high school. I thought he's a you know one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Um, but I would I, I don't know. I so I I. I I understand Chris probably hasn't been there for a while, but 
you know, that's who I would start. And if I had to make uh, go out on a limb for a prediction and watch this, because a lot of Vols fans, you know, follow me and listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, even if Garantano starts the opener, we will see Keller Christ soon. <laughs> I'm going to – and watch him go out and light up West Virginia and everybody's talking about him winning the Heisman and they upset West Virginia. But anyway, that, that's, my, that's my feeling on that one. I agree, by the way. I, I, I think Chris eventually becomes the guy. I, I think I think if, uh, if Dan Mullen had a Chris in his back pocket, Felipe Franks would not be the guy. Uh, LSU is, is likely going to be bailed out by a transfer situation because, of course, they've already lost two quarterbacks in the last week. Uh, that, that's another story in itself. Yeah, those, but, guys, those guys weren't going to play. Well, that's yeah. the thing, yeah. I mean, that, the, the headline is quarterbacks bolting from it, but this is not like it was with, with Sumlin losing, you know, top, top notch uh, recruits and talents in the same week. These are two guys that knew they saw the writing on the wall. They were basically three and four in the depth chart. Uh, And so they, so they left, but that doesn't really make waves. But, but, but LSU, and I should have mentioned at the top when I was going through the schools that are still trying to figure things out at quarterback, that's another one is is what is LSU going to do in that and they don't have a whole lot of time to figure things out because this just in they got a pretty challenging game in week one against the Miami Hurricanes yeah and I wanted to talk about that and you know another game or two uh since we'll probably break all of them down next week um okay so and you know all right Miami LSU is a very important game for two reasons the first reason is Miami, and I've, I was looking at their roster and, and looking kind of at their defensive personnel. Uh, it's really good. Uh, I think their offensive personnel uh, is really good. I think, you know, is is Malik Rozier uh, ideal? No. Uh, but Perry, you know, hadn't, hadn't really uh, – you know, hadn't really beaten him out or whatever, so it's probably Rozier. I thought Rozier was good at times, but not so good at times last year. Um, you know, you, you've got a true freshman running back uh, that I have my eye on named Lorenzo Lingard. I think that, uh, you know, he's kind of in a uh, situation that he may not play a whole lot, uh, along with Mark Pope. Uh, you know, they got some freshmen there. Uh, Jeff Thomas, I think, can be an All-American. I mean, anyway, the point is, I like Miami's personnel a lot. Uh, better than I've liked Miami's personnel in a long time. Um, I think Mark Rick's a heck of a coach. But the bottom line is, they lost to Pitt, Clemson, and then ultimately the Orange Bowl last year to Wisconsin. So they're on a three-game losing streak after winning ten in a row. I got or nine in a row, or however many. Well, they had a game canceled, I think, to start the season. And, um, you know, this is a chance to go get a marquee victory. I know the Notre Dame game last year, 41-8, to eight, that's impressive. But, you know, Notre Dame, you know, did they end up great? I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, LSU is still LSU, despite, you know, no quarterback and – despite the fact that Ed Orgeron is the coach, which I know some people hold against them. Um, and, and I think that that would be a great win for the Hurricanes. On the other side of talking about the, the Tigers, LSU typically does well and wins these games in the state of Texas. It's important because they recruit Texas. But also, 
Ed Orgeron, Joe Burrow, Steve Ensminger, the cast of thousands. They go over to Jerry World and knock off Miami, which is a top 10 team, to start the season. That all of a sudden, you hear the low rumble about Orgeron around Baton Rouge. Um, and I think that uh, I think that quiets people a bit. Because then you have a cupcake, and then you go play Auburn, and you're 2-0 and and probably in the top 15. And all of a sudden, Joel Burrow is the hero around Baton Rouge. So, so I think for those two teams, it's very, very important. Another battle in the state of Texas, in Houston, one of these neutral side games first week that I think is important, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. Now, we all know Ole Miss had a good interim coach, you know, Ed Orgeron's the best interim head coach in the country, but Matt Luke may, <laughs> may be second. Um, you know, they, they eked out 6-6. Six and six. They beat Mississippi State and Starkville to win the Egg Bowl at the end of the year. They have a good quarterback coming back, all kinds of skill, talent, and a good offensive line. Their defense probably leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and they're playing Texas Tech, and uh, the coach that uh, all, the, all the ladies like, you know, Coach Handsome, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, at his alma mater, really hadn't done much except go to a minor bowl or two and then call out Brett Bielema uh, <laughs> in an epic press conference after the Red Raiders knocked over, knocked off the Razorbacks. Um, and Kingsbury's a good offensive coach. I think Texas Tech is what it is. Uh, but, you know, he, he survived, but I don't know how much longer he's going to survive if they don't have a good year. So I think this game kind of takes on a little more importance than season, than most season openers where you can lose it or win it or rally or do whatever, because I think it kind of sets a tone and, and it's, it's for different reasons. I think it sets a tone for Ole Miss. If they can go in there and win whoever's on the other side of the 56 to 52 score, <laughs> which is what's going to happen. Um, if they go in there and win, all of a sudden you look at Ole Miss and you go, this is a team that's going to be tough for everybody this year because they're playing together. They're on a mission. You know, they're, they're looking to ruin some people's seasons because they can't go to a bowl and, uh, and play the, and, and Matt Luke's keeping them together and, and the coaching job's going well. And Ole Miss, you know, could be back here pretty soon. Likewise, if Texas Tech loses to a team on probation, the first game of the season, <laughs> even if it's from the SEC in the state of Texas, that's not going to be a good look for Texas Tech. And then vice versa. You can give Texas Tech momentum, or if Ole Miss loses, we'll be like, well, Ole Miss may not have such a great year. I hate to put that much stock in game one, but when I look at these two teams and the expectations, if they are to get to that next level this year, this would be an important one to have. I, I completely agree. I think the only game uh, that might supersede both of those from a big-picture standpoint would be Auburn, Washington. Yeah. Uh, and, and I say that because, and I was listening to um, uh, uh, Barrett Salee, who uh, I know and I, I enjoy his work, but I have to disagree with something he said today on, on radio, and that is that, well, you know, in the old system, it would have been very important for this for the Pac-12, but, but now with the, the playoff, that whole thing about, uh, the perception being bad if, if the top dog of the Pac-12 loses by double digits to uh, an Auburn team that you know may finish third in, in the SEC for all we know, uh, that it's it's not crippling. I, I couldn't disagree more. I think it is crippling. I, I think the Pac-12, if they don't win that game, 
they better keep it close and respectable and look good in that game because style points from that game for the Pac-12 will matter three months down the road, four months down the road. Because I, I just don't see, I know, you know, Stanford's always consistently good. They have been for a while under multiple coaches. Um, Southern Cal is going to try to win with like a, a you know, an, an 18-year-old kid quarterback. I, <laughs> that's uh, a lot to ask. He, he's good, though. I mean, like, like no, J, JT Daniel would be the number one prospect in the country for this class by a mile. Nobody can de- – it's so bad, Mike, nobody can decide who the heck number one is because this kid went early. Um, right. Do do I think that's ideal? No, but I think I think you know he'll be good this year. He'll be great in twenty nineteen. Oh, I believe it. But I yeah, believe it. And to look, your point, there's one though, thing. Yeah, yeah. There's one thing Southern Cal does do well, even when their program is not riding sky high. I mean, they get quarterback recruits. If you're if if you're a quarterback in that part of the country, uh, man, it's still cool. I don't care. We're Southern Cal. It's still pretty damn cool to be the man on campus under center for the mighty Trojans. So they're always going to get kids that have NFL potential to play quarterback at that school. But I, I don't think Southern Cal is even in the national championship discussion. I don't think Stanford is in the playoff discussion. Washington is what the Pac-12 and all of its fans and anybody associated with that conference, that's who they're pinning their hopes on, that the Huskies – can can be that team uh they have a guy who's been quarterback there for about 27 years in browning they have skilled players to go with them they have an offensive line that can block they have athletes on defense uh they have all the ingredients but if you go out there in week one and lay an egg against auburn i don't know if the pac-12 can bounce back from that because really and and we don't have enough time to get into this too much but I'll, i'll just say this Really, college football now, if you look at the predictions for this year, and I don't think they're just like, you know, throw a dart at a board and hope you're right predictions. I think they're all based on really a great deal of logic (laughs) based on returning starters and talent and schedule and everything else. And if you look at who's predicted to win all their conferences and go to the playoff, it's almost a facsimile of what it was last year. And it's not that different from what it was two years ago. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio state. If everything gets resolved uh, with urban Meyer, with the potential of Penn state, I wouldn't even call that a dark horse. I mean, Penn state's loaded uh, in the big 10 and then it's wash uh, it's Oklahoma from the big 12 again. And then it's Washington in the pac 12. And at some point, the Pac-12, which came off a wretched bowl season, as we all know, and you can say, well, what does that really mean? Bowl games are wild cards. Yeah. Who's, yeah. who's motivated? Who's not? I get it. I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying bowl game record is the ultimate barometer of a conference because that's based on matchup, based on a lot of different things. But the Pac-12 overall is taking a bit of a beating, nationally speaking. And if Washington lays an egg in week one, and one of the very few games where a Pac-12 school is you know going far east to play anybody that to me that's something the Pac-12 it's it's going to be an uphill battle the rest of the way for that entire conference so for me that and I didn't even mention why it's big for Auburn I mean look it's obvious if you're Auburn and you play in the SEC West there's a good not to mention Georgia there's a good chance you're going to stub your toe and you're going to lose at least one game 
if you lose another game against Washington, that's probably asking too much to get in the playoffs. Yeah. So you, you don't want to deal with that paper thin of a margin of error. You want to win this game if you're Auburn. Yeah, and look, I, I think that, you know, kind of if, if you look at the flip side of it and what Barrett was saying, you know, I, I think that, you know, in the playoff era because – you know, you're not looking to get into the BCS top two, you know, and let's, let's say Washington did lose to Auburn in the opener and then they run the table, win the pack 12, all that. And they're 12 and one. Well, let's say Clemson suffered an upset at the end of the year and finished with a loss or two, uh, but still won the ACC. Let's say Auburn lost two games, finished in a tie for the West, but beat Alabama, then went and beat Georgia and knocked them off. And there were all, there was all this craziness. You know, to get into that top two back then, a lot of times it was how you finished. That's how Auburn got in in 2013 to play Florida State. It, there was just craziness that happened. First of all, the kick six happened. Well, then Auburn goes, and lucky for them, they get to play Missouri uh, in the, in the uh, SEC championship game. Beat them 59-42 in a shootout. Okay, then that night, Michigan State just so happens to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. That's the one where Urban Meyer ate the pizza afterward, and that was when they had legends and leaders and not east and west. There were different (laughs) divisions. And and, and so, okay, so so all that happened, and Auburn got in. Yay! Uh, I think there may have been something else, too, that happened. And, and, you know, so so back then, yeah, you could, you know, you could – I think you could survive it then – better than you can now because now you're looking to get into the top four and, you know, you're, you're sitting there at the end and you're trying to decide between a slew of one-loss champions and the Pac-12 isn't that good or you drop another game in the conference and, and maybe you're trying to decide between three or four two-loss teams, a couple from the SEC, et cetera. They're going to look at that and go, well, you lost to Auburn. So, and Auburn's this, so therefore that, you know, you're, you're, you don't have the quality win that you need. So I actually look at it in a reverse manner and think it would have been more important. You know, uh, it was probably, you know, a situation where it's, it's not, you know, it would make more of an impact here uh, for the reasons you stated and the reasons I stated than it maybe would have them when you have a whole season to try to get back to the top two. Yeah, and let's not forget – when when this thing gets down to the committee, it's still a beauty contest. Mm-hmm. The, the computers are not spitting out the four playoff teams. Thank goodness, it, 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 there are human beings in that room that are coming up with the top four teams. Those human beings are well aware of the perception of the Pac-12 going into this season, and they'll be well aware of what the perception will be if Washington does not play a good football game against Auburn in Week One. You can say it's not fair. You can say well, you can say a million different things. But to me, it's not even debatable whether or not it would have such a detrimental effect on the Pac-12's chances of getting a team in the playoff. Uh, and that's assuming Washington runs the table. I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to win the next 11 games. Mm-hmm. There, there are potential losses on that schedule in the Pac-12. This is not me slamming the Pac-12 and saying there's nobody that's good enough to beat Washington. I, I believe there are teams that are good enough to beat uh, Washington in the Pac-12. But for right now, Washington is that league's Clemson. Everybody is looking toward Washington to lead the Pac-12 
into some type of playoff scenario and I, I just think it's huge for them because yeah, the, the other games we mentioned we're not talking about playoff we're not talking about lsu and miami making the playoff this year we're certainly not talking about old miss texas tech making the playoff this year we are talking about two potential playoff teams in auburn and washington in that game that's that's why that, that's the number one for me yeah and washington you know like you said uh, you know they got north dakota the next week and then week three they're going to Salt Lake City, Rice-Eccles Stadium, to play the Mighty Utes of Utah. Utah is going to be a good football team this year. They always are. That's a tough place to play. they got to go there. they got to go to UCLA. Who knows if Chip Kelly can spring a trap. they got to go to Oregon. They play Stanford at home. Uh, and then the, the Apple Cup is in, in Pullman this year, and who knows what the Pirate will do. Uh, you know, so that's that's the thing. But but anyway, Kyle we, Whittingham, by the way, one of the most underrated coaches in college football year ab- in, year out. Absolutely. I remember when uh, Tennessee hired finally hired Derek Dooley. Wasn't Kyle Whittingham in the mix for that thing? And uh, ended up with the dual the, 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 the dual meister. So <laughs> anyway. All right, Mike, we got some sponsors we got to talk about. We do, uh, and including a new one that uh, you have. Uh, brought to the table here. Absolutely. want to tell you guys about ATS Sportswear. Uh, Here's what these folks do. It's custom-designed sports apparel and other apparel, including but not limited to uniforms, company apparel, embroidery, screen printing T-shirts. They focus on quick turnaround and quality work. So uh, you need to shoot them an email. Like, let's say, for example... You need some T-shirts made for your daughter's birthday party or a bachelor party or your softball team or a company picnic or a family reunion or anything you want. They can do it for you. Again, quick turnaround, quality work. They have four talented artists right there on staff. Uh, If you tell them you heard this on the J.C. Morgan podcast, they will give you 15% off. Email them ATSportswear. That's, I'm sorry, ATSportswear1 at gmail.com at sportswear one at gmail.com tell them jc and morgan sent you, you get 15 percent off uh that's atssportswear.com on the internet check out their inventory and be sure to tell them jc and morgan sent you i like it in the, in the spirit of uh clothing as well different kind of clothing we're talking about uh, custom-made suits custom-made shirts all types of accessories that's where you go for the very best. And if you want the very best, you go to Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers. Again, they are located in the Carolinas, but they operate nationwide. In fact, all you have to do is check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com, and go ahead and set up an appointment with Brent. He will come to you. doesn't matter where you are. He is That man is logging more frequent flyer miles than all of us combined. I mean, he's been in New York lately. He's been in D.C., He's, I know he's coming to Atlanta soon. He's been out west. He deals with all kinds of folks, business people, coaches, TV personalities, you name it. Anybody who likes to look good in clothing, he's got you covered. And really, that's what they do. They strive to make you look your very best, quality and service exceptional. Because you are, as a client of BP Skinner, you are exceptional. So check them out. BP Skinner Clothiers, they have made a world of difference for me and so many others out there. Go ahead and experience the difference of Brent Skinner. Check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Have him come out to you and get you set. Yeah, I want to thank all of our sponsors for sure. Breaking news, Mike, before we get off and 
this is getting good, but I, but I wanted to give the, our listeners the latest because th- this is probably going to be resolved by the time a lot of you listen to this podcast. But uh, okay, this comes from Dave Biddle of Bucknuts, which is the twenty four seven Sports Ohio State affiliate, very tight end guy. Um, okay, so here's what's causing the delay with this thing. There's a difference in opinion between the board of trustees and Ohio State President Michael Drake about Urban Meyer's punishment. Cliff Notes is, Ohio State's Board of Trustees wants to reinstate Urban Meyer immediately. University President Michael Drake is balking at that, wants Meyer to serve a suspension. Meyer refuses to serve the suspension since he thinks he did nothing wrong. Ooh. So, Ooh. <laughs> apparently, apparently Urban and I are not on the same page. No. Forget about the, forget about the mea culpa. No. He's playing hardball I did nothing with any wrong. notion of, of missing any time whatsoever. Um, wow. Uh-huh. That's all I can say. Wow is, is totally <laughs> right. Uh, so, um, anyway, I think that's... Um, <laughs> that's uh it's gonna get interesting I, I don't know i don't know what to think now but we're out of time well, uh, this is officially a 30 for 30 by the way it, i mean it has this, to be this, this whole thing now uh we we've we've run a little dry on 30 for 30s this year i think we only had like four of them which which is one of my favorite things to look forward to in terms of sports programming the the, the whole thing uh with this situation is a 30 for 30 and what it's you know it is going to be to use a, a legal term, I mean, this is precedent how this is handled. I think because when you got a major university with a Hall of Fame coach and how you handle this, uh, everybody's watching on this one. It doesn't just affect Ohio State, and it doesn't just affect uh, what's going to happen on the field. So that's very curious. That's just another layer uh, of, of a story that continues to just well, number one, it doesn't go away. And number two continues to add layer upon layer upon layer. So wow. yeah, that's going to be talking more about that next week. Yeah, definitely. So I want to tell everybody real quick before we go to subscribe to this podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. You can get it there if you're an iOS, iPhone listener. Um, also, we're on Google Play. That's for Android, Google devices, things like Lexa. I think you can now say, Lexa, play the JC and Morgan podcast. Gosh. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can also get the Stitcher app, which is a podcasting app. Uh, if you like podcasts, things like Podcast Mania, you'll be able to uh, to sit there and uh, and get us each and every week. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Absolutely. And uh, again, next week we'll start getting into actual game previews, which we'll have a couple games to talk about. I know Hawaii, Wyoming doesn't move the meter for a lot, but we'll get into week one, a, a really busy uh, and entertaining week one uh, full of some some pretty intriguing games to say the least so it'll be fun to actually talk about games as opposed to some of the other stuff uh, that we've been talking about. Until then. For the one and only J.C. Sherbert at J.C. Sherbert on Twitter, Mike Morgan at Morgan on Air saying so long for now. And thank you once again for spending time and listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. (laughs) 
The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. <laughs> 